0: Auto Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Thanks for inviting me into your home and your head. And thank you for your ears and your voices. Emerson wrote, Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. The virtue in most request is conformity. Self-reliance is its aversion. What was Ralph Waldo on about there, I wonder? Think about it. In order for a people to rule or to be ruled effectively, instead of government of the people, by the people, for the people, we're ruled. We are ruled, make no mistake. Some of us, many of us, God, maybe even most of us, are stumbling towards the apocalypse with drool on our chins, and we're quite content to be ruled. And uh, the elites are quite happy to return the favor. They're quite happy to rule over us. So how do they do that? Well, they convince society, your neighbor, your colleague, that guy you carpool with, to demand conformity. But you, dear listener, you don't run with the herd, which is why you listen to shows like this. You're not a conformist. You think for yourself. And that's dangerous. That can't be tolerated. And so all of society is in a conspiracy against all of its members. The virtue in request, the virtue in most request is conformity. It begins in public school. They demand conformity. You try and fight it. You try and think for yourself. But everywhere, the supermarket, the golf course, the PTA meeting, your nonconformist ways are challenged and despised. You're not one of us. You're not normal. Your child should be on medication. Sorry, we're making some changes here at work and you don't fit in with our new direction. In other words, you don't fit in with the company culture. You think for yourself. You can't be a cop if you're a nonconformist. You can't run for political office and win if you're a nonconformist. You can't host the morning show on a major radio station if you're a nonconformist. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of us and its members. The virtue in most requests is conformity. And what else do rulers despise? What makes their job of ruling over a people very difficult? Self-reliance. What's that you say? You're off the grid. You homeschool your kids. You grow your own food. You own a gun and you're prepared to defend yourself, your home and your family. You don't call 911 and cower under the bed. You resent paying taxes. Why? You sound like an extremist. Next thing you'll be telling me is you own gold outside the banking system. Let's put that person on a no-fly zone and monitor their emails. Darn, they don't own a computer or a cell phone. They're off the grid. Quick, let's raise their property taxes and get them off that land and into the city where we can keep an eye on them. Society everywhere is in conspiracy against the manhood of every one of its members. Self-reliance is its aversion. We all need to get busy, very busy, And get self-reliant. If you're not, and admittedly I am not, we need to get self-reliant fast. Next week is Emergency Preparedness Week, and the nice government people want you to take measures to protect yourself and family in case of some emergency. A power outage, an earthquake, a mudslide, a tornado, it all depends on what region of North America you reside. They want you to have enough fresh water and food stores and maybe some extra batteries and flashlights at the ready. Enough to last 72 hours. You're going to hear a lot about that. 72 hours. That's three days. Until the nice government people can restore services, the nice government people can restore electricity or distribution of food and water. 72 hours. Three days. We have short memories. Think back to the ice storm we had here this past December. How many of you were essentially on your own for several weeks? No nice government people were there to help you. Ask people who lived through... Sandy or Katrina, where were the nice government people then? The lesson is we need to prepare ourselves for an eventuality where the nice government people won't be coming to help. Of course, we talked recently about an EMP event that could turn out the lights across North America for years. By some estimates, within a year, up to 90% of the population would be quote-unquote affected. What they mean is dead. That's how utterly dependent we are on the power grid. That's how vulnerable we are. And state governments in the U.S., states like Arizona, are now busy letting their people know if such an event were to occur, essentially, you're on your own. We need to start thinking like that. We are on our own. Self-reliance. Dare to prepare. 72 hours is probably not going to get it done. What if the lights don't come on after three days, or three weeks, or three months? Then what? Let's discuss for the next hour, shall we? Self-reliance. A valuable attribute in troubling times. Self-reliance. That's going to be a real important attribute in the rocky days ahead when we have our metal tested, perhaps like no other generation. So just tuck that Emerson quote away. Some fly's handy where you can find it and reflect upon it in the coming days. The lesson is we need to prepare for an eventuality where the lights might stay off indefinitely. Let's discuss. Stan has held above top-secret security clearance and worked undercover for the FBI. He was part of an exclusive black project headed by Dr. Edward Teller, specializing in the development of flying saucer technology. But he's also the author of a number of books, including Dare to Prepare... He served as host for several television programs on inventor Nikola Tesla and a series of three highly rated shows on Channel 9 in Perth, Australia. UFOs are here, UFOs, Deo and you, and UFOs are back. But he's here on The Conspiracy Show to talk about emergency preparedness. Stan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh,
1: good, thank you, Richard. I uh, just want to correct one little thing there. Uh, the uh, book that would pre- probably be most remained of what research I've done is the Cosmic Conspiracy. Now, Holly, my wife, wrote the Dare to Prepare book. Ah,
0: well, it's all in the family.
1: (laughs) It is. It is, indeed. And I'll tell you what, we talk preparedness and do preparedness around here all the time. Uh, And it's getting more and more uh, a necessity for people, isn't
0: it? I recently spoke with Michael Malouf, the author of uh, A Nation Forsaken, EMP, and um, The Escalating Threat of an American Catastrophe. And, again, I mean, I don't know how you talk about this without scaring people to death. But this is the stark reality that an EMP is what's staring us in the face. We are heading. We are in the midst of a uh, uh, a solar cycle where a solar flare is quite possible. Uh, We could have another Carrington event, and this time, of course, we're not just talking about knocking telegraphs offline. Uh, We are talking about virtually every aspect of human activity coming to a grinding halt. And quite frankly, Michael Malouf painted a pretty grim picture. Um, how do you perceive an EMP threat?
1: Well, I perceive it as a, a very real threat, um, either by act of war from some of our enemies, uh, enemy nation-states, or and or from the sun itself, as you uh, mentioned just a few seconds ago. We've had two spots, uh, two very active beta gamma magnetic fields on the sun rotate into a position where if they had had a, um, that M-class flare, and they were certainly they were possible, that they were aimed at the Earth. Now, I think it was 2049, 2047, and seven's already gone by now, and 49 will drift by in a couple of days, and maybe we'll be out of you know, harm's way there. When we start talking about areas on the sun that uh, can throw out a flare, and then most times a coronal mass ejection right behind it, in, in the areas uh, of the sun that are very intense like that, if they're capable of putting out an X-class flare, and say, you know, an X-30 or 40, something like that, that would be extremely serious. And so whenever you hear, you know, uh, on spaceweather.com or on the radio that the sun is uh, put might produce an X-class flare or it has just produced one, um, if it was aimed at the Earth, you won't be able to do anything about it because by the time they detect it, um, it will have hit us and fried, you know, that side of the, of the uh, earth anyway. Most electronics that aren't grounded or are safety, uh, you know, Faraday cage type things will be zapped and will not work again. But there are a lot of things that can do that and people have said, oh, look, uh, you know, that will wipe out telephones, communication, blah, 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 and uh, computers will go down, so we'll put a spare computer and a radio in a Faraday cage of some description. And I said to him, "Well, okay, that's good. Uh, do you know when the when the EMP is going to come from the sun, or when Russia or China are going to attack us with an EMP?" Oh, "Well, no." "So you might be using the stuff that you've uh, put away, or would put away into a safety uh, area, like a Faraday cage, when it hits, and it won't do you any good to have the Faraday cage." "Oh, yeah, but I'll have I'll be operating on my computer and listen to the radio, and I'll have spare in the Faraday cage." "I said, well, how many spares are you going to have?" Because you're prepared for one, and if you use your spare after the EMP has fried everybody else's stuff, and you're using it, and a second one hits you, then, well, you better have, you know, a third backup, and a fourth, and a fifth. And it gets to a point of ridiculous after a while. So I said, you you better be thinking about, okay, I might have one backup of things that uh, that are key to communication, find out what's going on, but other than that you better be preparing for how to go back to the horse and buggy age and survive with your neighbors.
0: So the the, the whole Faraday cage and, and shielding and protecting your devices uh, is really folly is what you're saying. We need to learn how to live the way our ancestors did. Absolutely. I mean, you
1: know, it's not folly entirely, but uh, you, you're going to be, uh, it, it's like we say in gambling, it's a crapshoot. You know, it, it's a gamble because you don't know how many or when and from where an EMP situation will come. And with the current situation worldwide in, in the Middle East and in Ukraine, you know, we, we're we kind of pushing the envelope a bit, and I think that we could see a nuclear war or the beginning of it fairly shortly.
0: Stan, I want to point out that you've got a number of interesting uh, images, maps, um, uh, graphs, and so forth, dozens of them, that are um, posted on um, your website, standeo.com, and I just want to give out the uh, URL here if people want to log on during the uh, the show and look at these as we discuss.
1: You know, the simple way to do that, Richard, would be to say go to standeo.com. Right. S T A N D E Y O .com, and if you just scroll down just a quarter of a page or so on the right, you'll see a picture of a microphone, you know, like a drawing of a microphone, and it'll say show images. Click on that, and it'll take you straight
0: to it. Excellent. So go to standeo.com, and uh, you'll see a, a microphone, and it says show images. Click on that, and you'll see, for example, a, a map of an EMP radius of damage in North America. You'll see uh, an a EMP radius of damage over Central uh, USA, photographs of um, blasts, nuclear blasts, and much, much more. Standeo is with us, and we'll uh, discuss how to prepare and survive a Catastrophe. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Stan Deo is uh, with us, emergency preparedness expert. StanDeo.com, the website. And again, if you uh, go to Stan Deo, and that's Stan, S-T-A-N, Deo, dot com and scroll down, and uh, you'll see a sketch of a, a microphone there. And just right beside that, to the right of that, it says show, uh, show images. If you click on that, uh, that'll take you to the maps and graphs and, and the images that we've been discussing. And you can have a look at those while you're listening to our conversation. I, w- I really want to focus on, you know, how to survive. Um, when I was speaking with Michael Mallow recently, we, we sort of, you know, went through the... Uh, all the gory details of uh, of how this EMP uh, will impact us, and and, and it's pretty gl- it's pretty uh, grim, obviously. Uh, but but let's let's see if we can give people some some hope here. Uh, sure.
1: Sure.
0: Well, how do you, Stan? How do you uh, uh, live? I mean, are you off the grid? Uh, do you have um, a plan in place to, to get out of Dodge and, and live off the land?
1: Well, actually, um, here in Colorado, we we have about oh little over one-and-a-half acres around us. And we've, uh, you know, Holly, my wife, has uh, pioneered four-by-four um, four and four-by-eight-foot intensive gardening, uh, and she's written a book or two on it and uh, uh, spoken uh, quite a bit on our website about it to show people how to weather things in situ, you know, in their homes if they can't get to a place out away from the city. Certainly, it's not a good idea for people to live in any of the 120 major nuclear target cities in the United States, and she's listed those out in her book to get to prepare book. But um, we try to encourage people to build community around them, and here's why. If you go out into the bush, uh, into the local forest or whatever, and think you're going to go out there and survive off the land, it's not going to happen for everyone. In fact, it's going to be very difficult because of the the government's high tech ways to find you, you know, infrared and various other things that would give your position away eventually. So, you, you know, and, and if you were out there in a camp by yourself, with your family, maybe two or three kids and your wife, okay, and you have all the guns in the world you want, but it's going to take people, you know, being on guard uh, duty while others sleep, and it's a very involved process to try to live, you know, in a Wild West situation out in the bush. Especially since a lot of these areas are being swallowed up by Agenda 21 and are probably populated by Russian troops or UN troops or something we don't know about. But um, they're just—you're not as protected as you think out in the, in the wilderness. A uh, Small group, one person on foot and traveling might, you know, be okay. Maybe two, but you're, you're going to encounter a lot of problems out there. So we've been teaching people to get to know their neighbors. And uh, to live away from the major cities so that you have less population problems to deal with and people get hungry and start forming gangs all around. Um, You know, just a a case in point, uh, in New York in 1977 when they had the 24-hour power outage, uh, in one night the looting and raiding that occurred in in New York uh, caused 3,700 and some odd people to be arrested. And that was about half of who actually committed crimes that they caught. Now, in one day, if you get an EMP, either from the sun or the enemy or whatever, and it wipes out power for months, maybe years, uh, imagine what it's going to be like. It'll be like a Mad Max
0: scenario right so, the, the it's a pretty definitely. thin veneer of civility we 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 often- remo- you know try and convince ourselves that when things are at their worst, we're at our best, but that grows tired after a few days, doesn't it
1: it does, and you know when it comes down to it, the head of a household will say, well you know i'm I'm a fireman normally, but I'm now going to take care of my family because my family comes first, so I'm not going to fight fires for you you know and if any fire trucks are working at that, that, that time but um you know, this is why you need to have neighbors and friends that so get together and run, you know, alternate, uh, uh, you know, stand watch at alternate times in the neighborhood and have some kind of a little communication system, whether it be, you know, um, string and can or whatever, um, so that you can say, look, I've got problems coming in over here. You know, we need your help come to my house or, you know, run across the back then. Um, you need weapons. You need ammunition, and the government's trying to take those away. as is often discussed, and they don't want you to be able to, to resist. They want to declare martial law when things get bad, but there's not enough troops in the United States that are you know would be completely faithful, you know, and obedient to the White House and to give orders to start shooting American citizens. It's just not going to work. There aren't enough of them, and even with Russians and UN troops, it's going to be very hard to put everybody under the thumb. So you need to be able to cook, you need to be able to heat and possibly cool your home or living area without power, without electric power anyway. It is time to start preparing by getting a all the uh, things that will, uh, A, allow you to uh, mitigate the effects of an EMP on your electronic devices you hope to, to keep intact, and then uh, B, you want to get solar cookers make tea in a glass jug with water and tea bags, so Will buy some extra tea and store it away. Coffee, same thing. And, you know, you can cool yourself like you do in India and Australia and some places out in the outback. Getting some, like, um, oh, uh, it's not muslin cloth, but it's like uh, they call it cuscus tatty in, in India, but it's like a very coarse weave cloth. Burlap. That's what I was looking for. And you can make strips of that. And uh, if you've got access to water, you keep that moist and let the ambient uh, breezes blow through that and cool you off a bit uh, in a small area. Um, you know, that's heating and cool. Stan, uh,
0: if, I'm sorry to interject, but if I could get you just to speak up, uh, the, the phone connection is not great. I just want to make sure everyone's okay. Is hearing this. Sorry
1: about go. that. Uh,
0: that's better. realize that. Is
1: that a little bit that's better? That's much I'm better. In my position.
0: Okay. There we go. Sorry. That's much better.
1: Okay. And. Um, You know, so, okay, food is going to be a big issue. You don't want to be standing in food lines and and handouts from FEMA and stuff like that. So you must have these things on your property and stored away quietly. Don't make a big deal about it if you do store things, because I'm sure there will be a point in time when when the government, whether it be local or federal, will say, oh, uh, look, uh, folks, uh, we're in a time of crisis, and as you know, food supplies are very limited. So uh, there have been a bunch of people hoarding food, you know, these prepper, you know, terrorist types. So if you know anybody in your neighborhood that's been doing that, let us know and, and we'll share some of their booty with you and you know, we'll give you five or ten percent of it for your own household. But we need to distribute that food around so your neighbors will rat on you, you know, one of them will somewhere. So you don't want to make it widely known what you've got. And you will need to have food and water that and, uh, we've put in, in our place we couldn't dig a well. Uh, A, couldn't afford it, and B, if we could, if we could go down 1,200 feet and still not hit water where we are. So we got in some plastic um, storage tanks like they used in the the Gulf War.
0: Right, right. Where do you get those?
1: Well, no, we got them in a crowd. um, You know, I'd have to look it up in in your next break, and I'll tell you. But we got ours here, I think it's in Denver, and they're spun. You know, they spin them around, so they're very thick and... You can get them from, you know, a couple hundred gallons to, you know, in our case, we've got several of them that are like 2,500 gallons and uh, made arrangements to catch um, rain in the time of crisis, not now because it's illegal, but to catch rain off a roof and, and throw it into these tanks and then filter Wait, it.
0: Let me just stop you there, Stan. Did you just say it's illegal to catch rain and store it?
1: Well, where we are, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a lawsuit between Kansas, which is east of us, and Colorado years back, 20, 30 years ago. And... They wanted us to stop stopping or holding back the water over here that was normally running into the Arkansas River and into Kansas. And so it became illegal for you to catch water or to store stop water in its natural flow downhill over to Kansas. And, um, you know, as long as you'd make a big deal about it, people got away with it that needed the water in the mountain communities. In the more populated cities and stuff here, you know, it became obvious that you were breaking the rules and somebody had a a nasty on for you, they could report you. But there are ways around that. But in, in Australia, for instance, we left there in 2001, we sold our farm and came on back up here. It got to the point down there in that socialist country where they were going to start putting a tax with a little meter on our water tanks they're going to
0: tax the rainwater. Tax the rainwater. Yep. Oh, my Lord. <clears throat> now, once you store the water, you store the rainwater, how do, you, how do you purify it? How do you keep it clean and so forth?
1: Well, there are a couple of ways. Uh, in the downspouts that catch the water coming off your roof, you'll have dirt and you know bird droppings and things on the roof. You don't want that in your water, or not much of it anyway. You'll get some no matter what. But there's a little gizmo that will divert the early few minutes of a rainfall. It'll divert it so it doesn't go down into your tank that you've got storing the water. And after it's thought the, that the roof is clean, okay, it'll now close that little flap door and it'll start putting this rainwater into your tank. Now, you'll still get sediment and junk in there, to say. A lot of it will just settle down. Uh, in Holly's book, the uh, Dare to Prepare book, and I think even on our website in the preparedness section, there are instructions about how many you know, teaspoons or, you know, uh, drops, etc. of chlorine, which kinds of chlorine, powder, or liquid to use for so many gallons of water to purify it. And then after you've done that, you want to filter out the junk that's in there, you know, um, the, the turbidity that's in there, just little chunks of things. And you put that through, say, something like a, a Ber- Berkey water filter. Uh, we have um, two or three of them here in the house, and uh, we use them all the time now anyway because these will filter out even you know viruses and bacteria and stuff like that, and they don't require power or pressure from the, the mains. You just pour the water in and let it uh, trickle down through the filters and then put it into your cup and drink it. Um, you do need, in some cases, if you got very dirty water, you know, a lot of chunks and stuff in it and some dirt maybe, uh, you do need to make a little pre-filter, and you can do that by putting some sand and some charcoal in a, uh, a bucket, uh, you know, with a little drain at the bottom of it and an open top, just to get rid of all the junk, you know, the heavy stuff that would clog your fine filters, like in the Berkey. Right. And once you've done that, that's, that's a pre-filter, then you, you filter your water and drink it. And it's quite safe, and a lot of the bacteria and junk that would normally harm you is filtered out. Uh, and these filters, like we've got them, got to, each filter will run through about, oh, at least 10, maybe 15,000 gallons of water before you got to think about changing it. That's a lot. I mean, anyway. That'll last you for most of the emergency time, I'm sure. And if you've got a tank to store it in, you know, even a few hundred gallons, then you're, you know where you can go off in a bicycle and, and fill up jugs and stuff with town water or lake or whatever, that's you know, junk water. As long as you can go get the water, you can bring it back and store it and, and purify and clean it. I mean, you know, you can get, like, this uh, certain types of powdered chlorine powder that you... You know, you cleaned your swimming pool with. Right. And that will just, that, that'll that clean tens of thousands of gallons in one of those little four or five pound white plastic containers. So that'll last you a long time. It's better than the liquid chlorine because that stuff goes off in six to
0: 12 months. It's not as powerful. Right. Powder. It will stay a lot, a lot longer. What about um, now food you say you' live on about an acre and a half and hmm. uh, you know you, there are these seed mag- or these seed catalog companies online and they'll they, they have these emergency uh, seed stores that'll uh, you know for a one acre garden and they tell you exactly you know what kind of things you should be planting a lot of heritage plants and so forth hmm. tomatoes and cabbage and, and all these things but, but how you know, most people do not know, how to grow a plant, a tomato plant, uh, or store and canning as you know that died off with our grandparents, uh, and we got to learn how to do that stuff again, Stan.
1: Well, you do, and now now Holly has uh, in her book. Uh, it's got like oh, sixty nine or seventy chapters, I forget now. We've added a couple in the last couple of years, but she tells you how to make your own soap, what you need, what chemistry, how to stir it, how to cook it, that kind of stuff. She tells you how to. Make four by four gardens in a, in a book called uh, Garden Gold. It's an electronic book you can just download off of our, um, you know, our shopping cart there. I think it's like twelve bucks or something. And it's several hundred pages of color pictures and explanations about how to do, you know, growing trees, growing plants, and how to how to make it concentrated so you don't have to go out there and, and you know have a plow and plow up a half acre and and weed it. That's one of the big things that you have trouble with in a normal garden, but. This is using a technique the Chinese developed, and it's it's intensive gardening, which means, say, like in a four-foot-by-four-foot little bed that you build with some, you can buy it from frame it all, just these plastic wood boards that build it up about eight inches tall, and you fill that with a special soil mix that you can make out of it. She tells you how to do that, too. What percentage of, you know, cow manure and sheep manure and, and, you know, um, the various things, you know, peat moss and all these things you need to make a perfect soil. And we do that here. I mean, uh, we just uh, finished today uh, with our early planting. Now that we had seeds we were growing inside the house, we tell you how to do that, too, show you pictures of how we've done it, because city dwellers have just been cut off from the land. So you need to get ready to do that, and it's a learning curve.
0: Well, how many of those 4x4 four four gardens do you need to, let's say, feed a family of four?
1: Well, let's see. I I can't quote the figure right off the top. Man, I know it's not many 4x4 uh, four one, two, three. Uh, you probably need about um, eight to ten of them. Okay. And you're not going to, I mean, th- these are things you just, I mean, I made my 4 by my 4s originally by hand. I just went down to Lowe's and got some timber and cut it and, you know, nailed it together. And, and uh, the thing you got to watch, though, uh, yeah, you got to look, look out for birds and you got to look out for rabbits and mice getting into your stuff. Right. So you okay. have to get this netting and stretch it around it especially when the plants are young because there are some birds that will go down and peck at it and just uproot it looking for worms and stuff that might be around the roots of it. I speak from experience. I mean, we bought a couple of air rifles here just to get rid of some of what we call the the hook bills, uh, which are curved bill thrashers or something like that. they got yellow eyes, and they're nasty birds. they dive in, and they just rip your plants out.
0: Don't shoot till you see the yellow in their eyes. <laughs> you bet. Listen, Stan, well, i got to take a time out. We'll come back, and I want to find out exactly maybe what crops we should be growing, and uh, we'll talk about other uh, essential items maybe that we need to be hoarding.
1: Yeah, I've got some information on this EMP protection stuff that people ought to hear. Is
0: that we'll do that when we come back. Stan Dale, as we talk about preparing for a cataclysmic event. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. You know, the day could be uh, slowly approaching or quickly approaching. uh, Where each of us may have to trade in our company identification badges for a shovel and a pair of overalls and become micro-farmers. We're talking with Stan Dale about how to prepare for some impending cataclysmic event, natural or man-made. And uh, we've discussed, you know, water storage. Uh, and now we're discussing food, growing of food, micro-farming, planting for the seasons. Uh, we need to know about natural insect repellents. We need to know about seed collection, seed storage. Uh, you know, most of us have no experience, zero experience with planting anything. You know, a tomato comes from the grocery store. Uh, it just magically appears there. But when the proverbial SHIT hits the fan, we need to start doing these things for ourselves. So, Stan, if we're, if we're, going, to, if we're going to grow an emergency garden, and you talked about these four-by-four four gardens, and let's say for a family of four you need eight to ten of them, what, are the, what do you think are the essential crops that you should be growing?
1: Well, you have to look at nutrition, and even though corn is nice, it takes up a lot of space, and it's not as nutritious as, say, green beans or uh, snap peas, snow peas, uh, or uh, lettuce or spinach. These are iron and zinc uh, compounds in those. Uh, carrots are good. Uh, carrots, you can you can grow a lot of carrots in a 4x4 four four bed there. Um, what Holly has done in that uh, Garden Goal book is she's, she's um, shown you how many of what kind of seed you can put in one square foot, what, what's the intensive growing. I mean, when I say intensive, you pack them in, and they're so tightly packed in there, and the soil is so rich that you make up. That, um, you don't need to weed it because the actual crop you've planted, whatever the vegetable is, uh, forces all the others out. It takes over. And, like, we were giving away lots of tomatoes last year to our neighbors and stuff because, what did we have? We had two, three. I think we had four tomato bushes in a four by four. And we got so many tomatoes, we could not eat them all. Um, and during the winter, we even got a grow light here and we plugged it in and, we grew the the, the uh, tomatoes inside. Uh, there's a learning curve there too, but then we were getting really good tomatoes that tasted like a tomato, not cellophane painted red. You know,
0: <laughs> you can grow tomatoes inside in the winter. Can you grow asparagus and and broccoli inside?
1: Well, um, asparagus is a little trickier. It takes a while to, to grow, and you need a lot of area to let its roots uh, spread out. And it's you, we've done it. We but we didn't do it inside. We do it out the back. Um, in the, in the best case, what you would do is make you up some of these little miniature greenhouses, what they are. They're just things that are about two or three feet tall in the, in the peak of it, and you put them over your four-by-four, four, and um, you let the sun heat those. There's a way to let the sun shine on it, and uh, dark dirt and stuff like that will hold the heat in. And you can insulate it, and so you can actually grow outside during the winter within reason. If you've got four feet of snow on top of it, it's not going to work, but you know what I'm saying.
0: Right, right. Um, you can at least extend your growing season.
1: That's right. That's right. And and if you're clever, there are ways that you can protect your your um, growing your mini greenhouses and stuff like that from snowfall and excessive rain by putting a a, a slide sheet over it that you build with some clothesline and, and a couple poles, and you can you can pull it over and shield those things from intrusion by you know the, the environment or the weather. But anyway, that's that's you know. Um, not a major issue because if you grow tomatoes and you grow let's say, I mean, we're, we've got um, 15 trees in our fruit orchard too we grow fruit and we can it. We make um, preserves, we make jelly um, and you can stew tomatoes and things like that and put them we have um, uh, like peppers that we, we preserve peppers. You can do that in, in uh, vinegar and various other things. You can grow pickles, you know, just cucumbers. You can grow um, uh, the garden-type cucumbers are the long ones for your salad, or you can grow the, the short, stubby ones with little boards all over it, which are pickles. And and these just grow really well in these things. We grow squash. We grow, uh, um, you know, the um, acorn squash. Uh, we grow, um, let's see, uh, cilantro, a, a, a spice we use in our Mexican cooking here, our Tex-Mex. Um, we grow uh, Jerusalem artichoke, which is a tubular it grows down in the ground underneath. And we've got a four by eight for that one because the root of that, you harvest it uh, in the fall, and it lasts you for a year, all that stuff. Ah. It helps to cure diabetes and to hold it back. You eat about a um, the size of a big fat hen egg once or twice a week, and it keeps your blood sugar in control.
0: Well, speaking of hens, uh, what do you do for protein?
1: Well. Our neighbors, uh, one of them has chickens, and we're going to trade with him for a while, but uh, we are thinking about putting in chickens here. The problem you've got there is you've got to feed them. And you know, you're not going to run down to the store and get chicken food or your chicken feed for them. So it's going to be table scraps. If you've got any left, they'll be sharing on part of your the stuff that you eat to give you the, the protein. And to that end, you can buy uh, freeze dried uh, vegetables and things that are on trays and, and, and do it that way. Um, you know, pluck them up, so I'd say we've looked at it, and the, the cost of building the hen house and protecting it is uh, holding us back, so we're going to trade with neighbors and friends that have got eggs, we'll trade them, you know, that kind of stuff. It's it's a barter system, and, and that's the way we're going to handle it, but certainly uh, the chickens would be good, and uh, if you are going to breed them and have, you know, roosters come out of it... Um, you're gonna to have to watch your rooster because he'll wake up everybody in the neighborhood and you won't be popular and it also tells the predators where your chicken coop is
0: right right uh...
1: so in essence you you have a bunch of female, you know a bunch of hens who are laying and uh, they will lay year-round if you get the right kind and in, in quite plentifully but you still have to feed them and uh, give them water
0: what about fish farming
1: fish farming is good um... We tried that on, the, on our farm down in Australia, and we had about a 100,000-gallon uh, pond there. And uh, we raised uh, yellow, yellow tails and silver tails, I think, something like that they call them down there. But that takes probably a year, year and a half to get them up to eating size.
0: All right, listen, we'll take another time out. We'll come back. We'll have about 15 minutes to uh, to get people prepared. Uh, we can do that, right? 15 minutes? <laughs> Stan Deo is with us, standeo.com. His wife, Holly's book is Dare to Prepare, and uh, he's also the author of The Cosmic Conspiracy. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Big Brother is listening. And so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Here's another age-old skill uh, that has gone by the boards years ago uh, that's going to come in handy again, and that's uh, candle making. Do you know how to make your own candles, Stan?
1: Yep, that's in Holly's book, too.
0: Is that fairly straightforward?
1: Oh, it is. There, that uh, You just need to have your supplies, you know, your wax and uh, your tallow or whatever you're going to use, and some... Uh, thread to use, you know, or like little thicker and threads, cord to use as a wick. Um, but she goes through all that in the book. Um, it, it's uh, a, a very comprehensive thing that she's put together over the years as people would write and say, because we've been doing this for like, gosh, 16, 17 years, and she started a community newsletter when we were down in Australia, and people would say, listen, how do you do such and such? said, well, I'll check and see, you know, and she'd write out on the Internet and people would write in. But let me, let me give you an idea of what's in this book just by chapters. I mean, there, there's a chapter, a whole chapter dedicated to the uh, type of generators and what you need. And, uh, uh, you know, um, if you're going to do emergency water treatment, there's uh, two or three chapters on that. Um, how you can find water like the, the Aborigines do, uh, we've tried that, and there's a very clever way to do that. Um, and you just need some artificial grass for that in a little elevated place, and you can make the sun give you fresh water out of salt water or all kinds of junk water. Um, first aid supplies you need, she discusses that, underground storage, uh, colloidal silver, soap making, candle making, uh, fire building, uh, you know, how to do it like to, you know, from scratch, uh, just common things and how you make biodiesel fuel Um Composting is another thing that you need to, to put in your dirt for the next season. And then how to grow food, there's a whole chapter on that as well, how to dry jerky and vegetables and things if you've got you know, protein as well.
0: And steeds, uh, seed storage and collection is, is important. I mean, you've got to hold back, obviously, uh, some of the some of the seeds for, for the next growing season. And then how do well, you that, store those seeds?
1: Well, now, you don't want it to uh, let them be in a temperature that's, uh, say, above 70 degrees you want to keep them at a constant temperature at 70 between say or you can take them out of freezing we've got some we keep in our freezers but when the the electricity goes we'll have to be letting them go at a cool temperature which you can dig down like the old root sellers used to have you dig it down probably six to ten feet well six to eight feet i guess and down that deep you can cover it over and keep the temperature fairly stable and the seeds will stay for viable for two or three years from one season as long as you don't buy hybrid plants to start with because those seeds aren't any good they come off of that you know, they give you spindly fruit or vegetables if they give you anything at all uh, she, she also covers how to take care of your pets provide for them with some of the food and stuff that you're going to be eating and th- that they would need gas masks, nuclear emergencies how to survive the fallout cloud you know uh, just there's a heap of stuff in there and you can read about it on the website. You can go click on that standale.com and click on Dare to Prepare, and, and she'll show you the, the chapter titles and, and give you an idea of what's in that book. I mean, this is this book. Her book is being used by government first responder uh, classes. Okay, it it is really the bible of emergency preparedness for homes and even for like um, uh, counties and cities and stuff in small cities and things.
0: Give us some tips on some uh, some ordinary household items uh, that can be used for other purposes. I remember uh, re- reading once about a you know a makeup mirror could be used to start a fire or a watch could be turned into a compass. These sorts of things.
1: Oh, uh, a, um, a camera lens. If you got a camera, you can. I have a little thing that I bought at Amazon, which fits in my pocket because I'm getting older and I need to uh, you know enlarge the menu so I can read it at a restaurant. And it's got a little thing about the size. It's less than the size of a quarter. It's probably about a nickel size. A little magnifying glass built into it, not thick. And I started to fire out in the orchard yesterday with it. Uh, some of the dead leaves. I just thought, oh, I'll try this and see. It took me something like um, five seconds. Um, and those you can carry around with you. Um, anyway, yeah, you, you, you can start fires that way. And uh, you got to know a little bit about how to get your tinder and, you know, the stuff to trigger the fire. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to address here before we go into some of these other common things is on that show images page. I did some research uh, on a couple of very important issues. One, people were saying, look, can we protect our devices inside of a metal trash can? You can get at the hardware store.
0: Use it as a Faraday cage, essentially. You can,
1: but I've got a video on there. It's down around the fourth line down the first uh, image there. It goes to a video on YouTube where Dr. Arthur Bradley wrote uh, a book on the subject. Actually does the proper thing in testing broadcast signals and shielding in a trash can. And he shows you that if you just put that metal lid on that trash can, it's not going to be very efficient at all. It will let the, the EMP leak in at, at such strength that it will hurt the device and kill it, you know, whatever you're storing in there. But he says you go down to Lowe's and you buy two inch wide, you know, the uh, air conditioning ducting tape, that metal conductive tape, Right, right. and you just put that around, it's sticky and, and it's conductive. You just tape around the edge of that lid where it joins the, the uh, can. And it increases by about 500% the shielding. And it, you know, it's
0: not expensive. There you go. So your metal trash can can be used as an EMP cage. Now, someone else just emailed me. Actually, it's our friend, The Dude, one of our listeners. Uh, the Dude, he goes by. And he says, everyone's got a Faraday cage practically in their house. Their microwave oven. You just unplug it. Well, in the, in the event of a power outage, it's going to be uh, useless anyway. So right. you could store things in your old microwave oven.
1: You could indeed. Um, now there's something else too. Now a lot of people are, are, you know, getting these trash can type things to do it. They need to know about that foil or that tape you put around it. But also you need to put something inside there that's non-conductive, like a, a plastic or a not not newspaper or cardboard that can get if it gets any water in it, it'll it'll conduct. So you want something like plastic or or wood, hardwood, to sit whatever you're protecting on top of so it doesn't touch the edge of the can on the inside. And secondly, uh, there have been a lot of tests done uh, out at uh, the White Sands uh, you know, Nuclear Facility testing what an EMP will do to your car. And they have a big tunnel that you can that they've been driving cars through and hitting it with a field strength of an EMP bomb. And contrary to what a lot of people think, 97% of the cars out there will survive it. It might make your clock run a bit funny, but the car, if it stops, it'll glide to a stop. It won't just suddenly jerk to a stop, and you can restart it.
0: Ah, well, that's some good news.
1: It is. Now, if you if you take a wire and attach it to the frame of your car and put it down into a, uh, a pipe you drive down the ground about four or five feet, you know, a copper rod or something like that, so you ground it, you can then use your car as a Faraday cage. Throw stuff in it, shut the door, and it's safe. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. Uh so, you know, it's not the best, but it'll do in a pinch. You can use Mylar bags. We talk about that, you know, here a lot, because uh, Holly uses it in the, uh, the Dare to Prepare and in the, in the food storage section. A Mylar bag is like those, those uh, shiny balloons that you get at Walmart or something, that, you know, healing balloons. It, but a healing balloon. But a bag made out of that stuff, that's much higher quality. And you can take that and put your cell phone in, you put other things in, roll it up, put a clamp on it, and it shields. Uh, I've got a video on that there too on, on using that. So those are important things about this Faraday cage because I wanted to get people to read it and be educated. And there's a report by the government, the report of the commission to assess the threat to the United States from electromagnetic pulse attack. That report is on my website. It's a PDF. Click on it. It's down the fourth row, right in the middle, in blue and, and white lettering. Click on that and read that sucker, and, and you will be amazed at what you see. I mean, they don't just talk about. Devices and stuff. They talk about damages to transportation. What will happen to pacemakers? You know, uh, again, about ninety percent of the pacemakers, you'll get through it because they've been building them now with metal shielding on them, so that when they put the paddles on somebody to revive them, it doesn't hit their pacemaker. So pacemakers will probably be okay for most people. You
0: know, I hadn't even that hadn't even occurred to me in, in the uh, event of an EMP. What will happen with to all these people with pacemakers?
1: And not only that, the ones that do fail, and, and that'll be a very small percent. The body is not going to... I mean, the heart's not going to stop unless something really, you know, like like panic sets in because the heart will normally be producing a weak firing pulse for the, you know, to, to make it convulse. And that will pick up, and it will be erratic and stuff like that, but you'll still be alive so you don't panic, you know. I mean, even if you're, you're, your pacemaker fails, so uh, you just go on to plan B where you're not quite as active and you're careful and uh, keep calm, but... There's just so many good things like that in this report. Not everything from the government is, is bad news.
0: No, absolutely not. No. Um, wh- wh- give us a couple of other items, uh, useful household items that are handy in an emergency.
1: Okay. okay. Uh, power is, if you can get power, uh, solar panels and power batteries. Uh, I suggest that you get Edison and uh, nickel-iron batteries. You can get them from... Um, Oh, um, uh, well, in, in Denver, there's a, a young fellow has been bringing them from, from China, but he's going to start making pretty soon as a, in, his, in his company. But, uh, you know, uh, wind generators, uh, solar generators, uh, bicycles that will be turned into, you know, like you put out maybe oh, 80 to 100 joules, uh, you know, like watts, if you're pedaling pretty fast. But um, anyway, these, these kind of things uh, you can get from a company called ironedison.com. Uh I-R-O-N Edison.com and these, this concept was invented by uh, uh, Mr. Edison a hundred and some odd years ago Thomas Edison and they still work and they're better than the other batteries as far as how much power you can get out of them um, a friend of mine and I are working on a prototype of a way to make a wind generator that has no moving parts um, the wind will blow through it and build up a charge in a capacitor and you can then dump that into these batteries and, and use it um, so, power, water, food, biological necessities, medicines. Get get ahead on your medicines. Uh, if your own painkillers or things that you uh, can stretch out a bit, then stretch them out and get a month or two ahead. You know, by cutting back a bit, but storing them in a cool place.
0: Well, listen, Stan. Uh, again, we'll direct people to the website standeo. Stan, S-T-A-N, dot com. Stan S T A N Deo D E Y O. dot com. And uh, the book, written by your lovely bride, Holly, Dare to Prepare, lots of information in there. Can they order the book right off the website?
1: They can. Uh, we've had a recent uh, increase in in demand, and so we're in reprint now that I've put up on the website. We'll have new stock in uh, the 16th of this month, but they've just swamped us here. So.
0: All right. Stan, great pleasure. We'll do it again sometime soon.
1: Thank you, Rich. Appreciate it. Bye-bye
0: now. Bye-bye. Stan Dale. My thanks to Tim Spreen. Back next week, brand new program. Hope you'll be along for the ride. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I say in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.